0: Hey, Sylvia. Um, so it's January 13th, a Monday, and it's 10pm here in Istanbul. Um, it's taken me a while to get back to you, because I've, I've I wanted to make sure I had the headspace to give your your latest letter a proper listen. And I've finally been able to do that. And wow. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much, um, and especially for reading that, reading that bit from, um, Doc's Newberry Port, um, that was amazing, absolutely wonderful, and I think if they haven't done the audiobook yet, you should be, um, you, you should be up for the part, uh, but Yeah. I mean, you've completely convinced me, and so that's a book I definitely want to read. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time reading too many kind of subpar Turkish books recently for work, um, but I I have just started Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine, uh, I guess it's Averistow, I keep mispronouncing, I kept saying Everisto, but I think it's Averisto. Um But I've just started. So once I'm more into that or once I'm done with it, I'll let you know what I think about it. I'm excited to be reading it, though. So one, I should tell you one one reason I I, it's taken me so while to get back to you is because last week I was basically, you know, work all day. And then in the evenings, I would come back and was working on the translations of of subtitles for a documentary film that uh, uh, some friends of mine made. and it was quite, yeah, long, like two and a half hours. So I sp- split the, the subtitles with a friend and we got started and it had to be done by Friday. And so then on Thursday, I said, okay, I'll come to the office and we can, you know, put the subtitles in. But of course it wasn't done. And so I ended up going over there and spending the night on Thursday and getting three hours of sleep and then waking up on Friday and working on it till 5 p.m. And then leaving. And then I was so exhausted I couldn't sleep Friday night. Um... And then it kind of yeah <laughs> took me a while to 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 gather my wits again. But the documentary, hopefully, when it's when it's all done, uh, I can share it with you. Um, it's it's a documentary called After That June, um, and it's about being being a woman in in the state of emergency here, which you know the state of emergency went on for a very long time starting. Um, in 2015, and it kind of marks, you know, the beginning as a beginning point as uh, when this bomb bomb this this bombing happened in Diyarbakir in 2015 in June, uh, and it it starts with an interview with an an actress from Diyarbakir who lost both her legs in that bombing, and then from there it moves really all across the country. Uh, so you know, from the Black Sea coast and and, and in the southeast, and um, you know, Ankara, Izmir, the Aegean coast, and just interviewing all these extremely impressive women. A lot of a lot of whom lost their jobs because of the purge, the purges that also happened mostly after the uh, attempted coup a couple of years ago, where basically you know the the government would issue always usually late at night they would publish these lists of of professors. And um you know teachers at at most mostly universities, but also um, all all schools um k through twelve as well, who were they accused of being associated with one terrorist organization or another, and they were just out of jobs overnight <clears throat> and you couldn't leave the country and and all of these things and these you know these lists just came in waves, and so so many people lost their jobs and you know a lot of these people who, lost their jobs also you know already had histories um or many of them of you know from being persecuted during the coup of 1980 um or families who or you know family members who were been persecuted at different times so there's a lot of harrowing stories but also a lot of inspiring stories um so yeah so i was i was I'm you know, proud to 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 be a part of putting that out into the world. Um, one aspect of it, though, that's a bit upsetting, is, is just the, how it reminds you how all of this has happened and is kind of still going on, and how these, uh, for example, um, you know, women from the People's Democratic Party are still in prison, like most of the women politicians, who are the mayors and the the MPs. Um, were are were, yeah were imprisoned and and have been in there for two or three years and they're you know essentially freedom fighters and very outspoken feminists so yeah it's upsetting to to think of what we do the day to day and there are these people you know suffering um, for the cause so. Yeah, so I finished that and then over the weekend on Saturday night there was a, a theatrical reading of short stories from Sedatin Dimitash's second collection. So, you know, the author whose first collection I co-translated into English and he's he's also still in prison where he just finished his first novel though too so that will be <laughs> making the rounds with that soon. Just, I guess, trying to, I don't know, contribute in some way. But yeah, that was quite that was that was a, a highlight of the weekend. It was just a, a night of solidarity. So it was a lot of people from, from the party and just a lot of supporters and there was a message from Demirtash himself that that his wife recorded and, and they, you know, had on the speakers there, which was really sweet. So yeah, and then gosh. I don't. I, I. I. Well, I'm very glad to hear that you started listening to the Dolly Parton podcast, and I agree with you about kind of some of these podcasts being particularly overproduced. And yeah, I, I guess and in in this case too, it, it could have been um, cropped a bit here and there. But for the most part, I was completely mesmerized. <laughs> I'm gonna take Tilo on extra long walks just to listen to it some more. So yeah and then and and then I thought one one evening I came back I said oh I should I should um I should I need I want to watch some clips of Dolly Parton so I started doing that it was a bit of a rabbit hole and then it, and then then I cause then it, I I got into Whitney Houston because of I will always love you and I started searching to see if there wasn't some clip of the two of them together, which, surprisingly, I could not find any. But then with the Whitney Houston stuff, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, uh, Whitney, uh, Can can I, can I Be Me? Um, or le- is it Let Me Be Me? Sorry. Anyways, it's been a year or two since I watched it. I think I watched it pretty soon after it came out. And I think there were two documentaries made the same year, so I, I I only watched one of them. But I didn't realize... I'd always heard of these rumors of, of, of Whitney Houston being a lesbian, but I didn't really know the details or anything. And that documentary really kind of... I mean, it, it looks at her entire life, but this kind of very strong relationship she had with a woman named Robert Crawford, who she supposedly had a relationship with, Um, played a major role in the documentary and um, I think very strongly implies that a lot of Whitney's addiction probably was due to this both in kind of internal and external homophobia that she had to live with all her life and yeah, I thought it was—it was very. I was very. Yeah, I was in tears watching the documentary. And now you might have seen that that the woman in question, Robin Crawford, wrote a book recently. It was recently published, rather, um, about her life. It's called A Song for You, um, My Life with Whitney Houston. And she's also been giving interviews. So I was watching some of those, and you know, and she always tells this story because they always ask what happened and. And and uh, the story about how when Whitney was you know, just on her way, kind of up, she told Robin that they had to stop being physical, and and gave her this box, and in the box was a Bible, and they're both. I mean, Robin seems to be quite, you know, devoutly religious still, although she's she's um. I shouldn't say. Although it's not to say all Christians are homophobic or something, but she's she's married a woman and has kids now. But yeah, it's it was very interesting to watch these interviews with her, and she's she's quite a powerful figure in and of herself. But I just keep thinking, oh, fucking poor Whitney Houston. Oh, so yeah, that's that's one thing that I did, and then. I, since, since you read something, I thought, oh, well, I, I, I'm, I wouldn't mind reading something, too. And I think I actually really also like the idea um, of reading bits from what we've been reading recently or just things that kind of resonate with us at the moment. So with your permission, I'd like to read... Well, you can't really grant it, right? It's a letter. Um, but I will read a bit from a piece from Audre Lorde's essay uses of the erotic. I don't know if you've ever read this. It's very short. Um and you should read it. But I first read it when I read a few a few months ago. I read I think the summer pleasure activism, the politics of feeling good, written and gathered by Adrienne Marie Brown, just published by AK Press a year or two ago. Um so uh yeah, so I'll just I'll just read an excerpt from this. I think it It's kind of really speaking to my uh, midlife questioning. Um, So, here we go. We have been raised to fear the yes within ourselves, our deepest cravings. But, once recognized, those which do not enhance our future lose their power and can be altered. The fear of our desires keeps them suspect and indiscriminately powerful. For to suppress any truth is to give it strength beyond endurance. The fear that we cannot grow beyond whatever distortions we may find within ourselves keeps us docile and loyal and obedient, externally defined, and leads us to accept many facets of our oppression as women. When we live outside ourselves, and by that I mean on external directives only, rather than from our internal knowledge and needs, when we live away from those erotic guides from within ourselves, then our lives are limited by external and alien forms, and we conform to the needs of a structure that is not based on human need, let alone on individuals. But when we begin to live from within outward in touch with the power of the erotic within ourselves and allowing that power to inform and illuminate our actions upon the world around us, then we begin to be responsible to ourselves in the deepest sense. For as we begin to recognize our deepest feelings, we begin to give up of necessity being satisfied with suffering and self negation, and with the numbness which so often seems like their only alternative in our society. Our acts against oppression become integral with self, motivated and empowered from within. In touch with the erotic, I become less willing to accept powerlessness, or those other supplied states of being which are not native to me, such as resignation, despair, self-effacement, depression, self-denial. And yes, there is a hierarchy. There is a difference between painting a back fence and writing a poem, but only one of quantity, and there is, for me, no difference between writing a good poem and moving into sunlight against the body of a woman I love. So, yeah, and maybe this ties in, maybe I didn't consciously have this essay in mind when I made my New Year's resolution to not make resolutions, Um, but now, having reread it and reflected a bit, it does seem relevant. Um to what I what I think I'm trying to do, which is really, um, yeah, focus on what I really feel that I want and try to do the things I actually want rather than um try to make myself do things I think I should do, and I think it's gonna be interesting and it hasn't been interesting so far to see where those overlap. So. How much I really want to do the things that I think I should do, if that makes sense um, anyway so far it's it's a it's a fascinating experiment, and <laughs> I'll be curious to see how it all works out in the end. I will certainly let you know um and last but not least, I got your card. Thank you so much um it's very sweet and the photos are ace. Vera is adorable. You're absolutely right. Um, so thank you so much. As as the years have gone by, after you know, twenty years, twenty plus years here in Istanbul, I've gotten fewer and fewer cards, uh, which is probably true of the um, well, people in general send fewer and fewer cards and letters these days, right? Um, but this is, yeah, it's the only, the only card I got this year and it will occupy a very special, special place here, um, at home. So thank you for that. And yeah, um, I think that's all for now. I'm sure I'll think of a million other things I wanted to tell you as soon as I I hit the stop button, but uh, I'll save those for the next letter and look forward to your next letter in the meantime. All right, take care, Sylvia. I hope to hear from you soon. Bye.